uh, for our Women in Advent series um, on Ruth. So if I could actually get my first slide just for a little bit of recap, if you haven't been here. Um, this is a big map tracking the whole Bible, a timeline. Um, and two weeks ago, if you were here, Morgan talked about Tamar. And Tamar's story takes place in Genesis 38. And through really difficult circumstances, she, I know it's really hard to see that, but she has um, a son with Judah, and Judah is the great-grandson of Abraham, so really early in Israel's story. And though he took a pretty big jump to Rahab, we jumped over Moses and the Exodus and wandering the wilderness to Rahab, whose story takes place in Joshua 2, um, as Israel is claiming the promised land. And to close the gap between Rahab and Ruth, um, Israel has settled in the promised land and Joshua has died. Um, and this really should have been like a triumphant end to this chapter of Israel's story. But unfortunately, almost immediately after they settled in the land, um, Israel began worshiping other gods, doing what they believed was right in their own eyes instead of God's eyes. Um, and then we enter really the era of the judges for Israel's story. And this is an incredibly dark period of Israel's history. And that's where we find Ruth. So through Ruth's story, we'll actually see that even as Israel had abandoned God and turned their backs on him, he's still with them. And he's still going to carry Ruth through her difficult circumstances. So our main characters today are two women, Ruth and Naomi, and they'll both experience unimaginable suffering, and God will not leave their side. So if you guys could flip to the next slide, I have a little map to help. Um, so Ruth is a Moabite woman, um, and you'll maybe be able to see that that means that she is not from Israel. So she's a foreigner um, in the land. Oh, here we go. Yeah, Ruth is from the bottom right corner of both of these maps. So Ruth is not an Israelite. She is a foreigner, um, and she will choose God and rely on God um, even in suffering, and she will be rewarded for it. And our next main character is Naomi. Naomi is an Israelite woman. So she is from Israel. She's from Bethlehem and Judah, that orange part of the map. And Naomi, as an Israelite woman, after suffering, will wonder if God is really very good at all. And she'll wonder if he can carry her through um, suffering. Um, so first, before we get into this story, we're going to pray. And I'm actually going to read Psalm 13. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles, you can go ahead and do that. Um, and as we pray, as I read this psalm over you, I want you to consider a time when um, you felt like nothing could change or improve your circumstances. This could have been in the past or in the present. Um, so this could have been something like not getting a spot on a sports team that you were really hoping to get or into a production or having a really hard time in a class or maybe struggling with family problems. And as we pray, and I pray this psalm over you, we're going to sit in some silence, um, and the psalmist is going to ask some really hard questions, and I want you to allow the space for similar questions to come up, like, God, why did this happen, or how could you possibly use this for your good? So I'm going to read this psalm, and then we're going to sit in just 20 seconds or so of silence, if you would pray with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me?
But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. And while God might feel really distant when you think of this painful situation in your life, we'll actually get to see in this story that we have a hopeful assurance even in suffering. Our hopeful assurance is that God is more powerful than the things on earth that hurt us. He's actually outside of it, right? Just like he's outside space and outside time. And yet he chooses to draw close to us in our suffering. He chooses to allow us to lean on him for strength when we feel like we have none ourselves. So we're going to see how Ruth and Naomi's story can teach us more about this hopeful assurance. If you want to flip to Ruth chapter 1. And um, the next slide, we'll see in Ruth chapter 1 that in suffering, we tend not to see our circumstances very clearly. Um, Now, in the beginning of Ruth's story, we meet Naomi and Elimelech, a married couple from Bethlehem, who actually leave Bethlehem for Moab, um, if you saw on that map. They'll leave Bethlehem for Moab with their two sons, Malone and Kilion, because of a famine. So while they're living in Moab, both of Naomi's sons marry Moabite women. One of them is named Orpah and the other Ruth. Uh, And while living in Moab, actually all three of the men in Naomi's family die. We don't know why. We don't even know how. um, But they all three die. Um, And if you remember Morgan talking about Tamar, you'll know that this leaves these three women in a very vulnerable situation. So widowhood in this culture, unlike our culture, meant that it was impossible to thrive economically and to receive, you know, safety and security. So all three of these women are in very, very bad situations. And in this um, in this suffering, in this um, bad circumstance, Naomi actually chooses to return to her hometown in Bethlehem and send Ruth and Orpah back to their family homes in Moab. And here Naomi makes this crazy sacrifice um, and says, you guys can abandon me and leave me, feel permission to leave me um, because uh, you have no hope with me. And both daughters actually refuse. They say, we want to stay with you, Naomi. And so she further explains her circumstances in chapter 1, verse 11, where she says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. So again, we can remember from Tamar's story, this thing called leveret marriage that Morgan explained, which said, because widowhood was so disastrous for women in this culture, God actually made a way to redeem that circumstance, which said that if a woman lost her husband before she had children, that her brother-in-law would actually step in and marry her um, and provide her with children. But our problem here, right, is that Naomi doesn't have any more sons for Ruth or Orpah to marry. Um, So she's saying, not only do I not have sons, I'm also too old to get married and have any more. And even if I did, you'd have to wait decades um, for them to be ready to marry you. So Naomi is saying, go home, my daughters, because there's no hope for me, and there's actually no hope for you if you stay with me. So the women respond in verse 14. It says, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. 
So Orpah leaves, and Naomi gives Ruth just one more chance to do the same thing. And Ruth will respond um, earnestly in verse 16. Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. So Ruth, in this act of loyalty, says, I am not leaving your side. I am staying with you, and I'm going back to a place where I'll be a foreigner, an enemy of Israel, in order to stay by your side. And in doing this, she also chooses God. She's going to a place where Yahweh is exclusively worshipped. She's leaving the gods of her childhood behind. And through this choice, Ruth will actually emulate God's mercy to the hopeless, Ruth shows that God will provide for us, and he will carry us through difficult circumstances. Ruth will not leave Naomi hopeless, and God does not leave us hopeless either. So Ruth and Naomi travel to Bethlehem, and when they arrive in Bethlehem, the women of the town see them and kind of have this moment of like, whoa, could that possibly be Naomi? Like, what is she doing? And Naomi responds in verse 20. She says, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And if we could actually turn to the next, oh, it's here. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, while Naomi is right to be feeling this deep grief, it's very valid, she's actually wrong a lot of times in this verse because we know that she didn't go away full. She left during a famine, and she didn't come back empty either. She comes back with Ruth. And in this way, she really fails to see her circumstances clearly because of her suffering. And it's easy to see that we can do the same things, like saying things that aren't true about God, like, God, you can't be good if this happens to me, or God, you can't possibly be strong enough to carry me through this. And this story, Ruth's story, gives us two things to hold on to when we're in a place like Naomi's in. The first is that scripture gives us examples of God carrying his people through unimaginable suffering. Ruth's story is not the only example of this. There's several, um, there's many throughout scripture. And the second thing we can know is that God actually holds us close even in doubt. Ruth, or apologies, Naomi, says a lot of things that aren't true about God in this passage. She slanders his name, but he will not leave her side, even as she's experiencing this doubt. Um, God has moved close to Naomi and Ruth, even as this terrible thing, these terrible things have happened, and he won't leave them because of their doubt. So chapter 1 ends with Ruth and Naomi walking into Bethlehem. You can kind of picture them heads down in these very bleak circumstances. And moving on to chapter 2, we'll go over our second point. In chapter 2, we can learn that in suffering, God asks us to walk in obedience. So we're going to fly through the next two chapters. So this is my call to you to read this book sometime this week. It actually only takes an average of 15 minutes to read this whole book, so you have time. Um, but for our overview, in this chapter, chapter 2, Ruth will earn a reputation for herself as a loyal person and a hard worker. She's going to ask her mother-in-law if she can go work in the fields to provide for her family. And she does that. She goes and she works in the fields in Bethlehem. And in the fields, we meet 
another person, um, Boaz, and Boaz actually um, owns the fields that Ruth is working on. So Boaz sees Ruth and doesn't recognize her, and he asks his field workers who this woman is, and we have this funny scene where, like, the field workers, they're like, oh, we know who she is. Like, <laughs> I have to imagine in this small town that gossip was flying about these two women. This was not a typical circumstance to be in. So the field workers know Ruth, and they give him honorable mentions about her character. They say she's worked hard, and um, she's done this great act of loyalty, um, and she's been working all day. And so after hearing this, Boaz approaches Ruth in the fields and honors her for her character and basically tells her that the gossip mill in Bethlehem has turned out these really great mentions for her. And he also tells her that um, she can work in his fields and receive the protection that would come with that. And here we learn that the fields were not a safe space for women, and especially not widows, in this culture. So Boaz says that she can work in his fields and won't have to worry about the danger that she would be in. And it's actually a cool place to pause and remember that Boaz is actually most likely the son of Rahab, who Phoebe talked about last week, another foreign woman in Israel's story who showed unimaginable faithfulness. And it's kind of interesting, I think, to pause and think, could this, could this kindness that Boaz exhibits to a foreign woman, kindness that was not characteristic of their culture, have been because of Rahab's example in his life? Um, so moving on, uh, Ruth goes home after a long day of work to Naomi with, random fact, about 11 two-liter soda bottles worth of grain, which apparently was like a ton. Um, and Naomi is both shocked to see the grain and even more shocked to hear that the man whose field she worked in was named Boaz. So when she hears this name Boaz, Naomi actually praises God for the first time in verse 20. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So we can remember again this Leverett marriage law, right? And remember that this isn't going to do anything for Ruth. Um, but God has actually made another way to redeem widows or women in this uh, difficult situation. So it's called the Kinsman Redeemer System, which basically said if you're in a position like Ruth, um, where there are no brothers-in-law, there's actually like a sort of line of succession that's created by your husband's extended family um, for men to fill that role. And so I kind of think of this as like the presidential line of succession in our country, where like we've seen in American history the president has died and the vice president has assumed that role, but we've never seen the vice president die and the Speaker of the House, right, assume that role. And we actually can t see that there's 16 offices after that um, that could become the president in order to protect this valuable office from becoming vacant. So in the same way, God is saying widows have value, and they deserve protection, and they deserve the ability to thrive. So we're going to have this long line of succession to protect um, this sort of vulnerable woman. So Ruth learns here that the man whose field she stumbled into could potentially actually redeem her family situation. So chapter two really ends, I hope you can see, with this first sign of hope, like this first little bit of hope that Ruth and Naomi can cling to. And going back to our second point, that in suffering, God asks us to walk in obedience. 
In this chapter, especially if you read it more closely, Ruth tethers herself to God's law, and she walks in obedience even as she's experiencing suffering. And it's important to note that obviously she doesn't do this perfectly, right? And her suffering actually looks, or not her suffering, sorry, her obedience looks a lot different than ours. I can't imagine any of us walking in obedience in the same way Ruth does in this chapter. But the key here to take away is not, oh, I need to be perfectly obedient, but rather we need to make a commitment to obedience that looks a lot like perseverance after failure. So we can imagine many examples of how Ruth might have or probably failed. She might have um, taken out her anger and frustration on her mother-in-law or another woman she was working with. She might have experienced lust or doubt and whatever that failure looked like, um, she persevered and relied on God's strength and still maintained that commitment to obedience to his law. And in the same way, we can persevere through our sin and our failure and allow God to strengthen us. And we actually don't even have to be afraid as we pursue obedience like this. We don't have to be afraid of mistakes or because of failure um, because God's grace tells us that he won't leave us in that weakness, that he actually stays close. So um, we'll move on then to chapter 3. Um, and in chapter 3, on the next slide, we'll see that in, a sin in the midst of suffering does not disqualify us from redemption. So sin in the midst of suffering does not disqualify us from redemption. Now, this chapter is weird, <laughs> and, and at the beginning of this chapter, Naomi hatches a very bizarre plan, and I really do hope you read it, and if you have any questions, I'd love to try and answer them, but we're actually going to skip the weirdness and just go for a quick summary. So, in this chapter, Ruth basically asks Boaz to redeem her. She pretty much asks him to marry her. It's like the only time in scripture that a woman um, makes an advance like this. Um, and Boaz accepts. So that's the flyover summary that we need. And as for point three, that our sin in the midst of suffering does not disqualify us from redemption, some people think, some scholars think, that in this sort of marriage proposal scene, that Ruth is actually making a sexual advance towards Boaz. So this would mean that she's departing from God's law, she's walking towards sin, and she's trying to seduce Boaz outside of marriage. Um, this is one of many possibilities that could be happening in this passage, um, but what the important thing to learn is, is that even if Ruth and Naomi are walking towards sin in this chapter, they are not disqualified from God's redemption. Um, and in the same way, again, we can often make mistakes in our suffering. Um, we could lie to get out of a sticky situation or take our anger out on a friend or a loved one or someone that frustrates us. And while God does take these sins seriously, he doesn't abandon us right in light of them. Instead, God offers us his grace as he carries us through suffering. And these things just illuminate our weakness um, and our need for God. So Ruth and Naomi, whether it's here or somewhere else, sin at some point, but they're not disqualified. And even in their sin, God is still moving close to them, showing them who he is, and constantly pointing them in a better direction towards himself. So that's what we can see in chapter 3 
And then finally, towards the end of chapter four, we're going to skip a little. We kind of have the climax of our story. Ruth and Boaz get married, and they have a son. And the women name, later name uh, this boy Obed. And after this moment where Na- uh, Ruth and Boaz have this son, all the attention on the story shifts back to Naomi. So we'll read in verses, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. The women are speaking a blessing over Naomi. They say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, we've just read four chapters about two women who have worked, prayed, begged, (laughs) done everything they could for one son. And now these women are saying that Ruth, this woman who stuck by you in your hopelessness, is worth more to you, Naomi, than seven, (laughs) which is unbelievable. Um, And an even crazier thing to say in this culture. So it's a cool place to pause and remember that Ruth walked in obedience and in faithfulness together with Boaz to redeem Naomi. That Naomi is the woman who started this story without hope of redemption. Remember, no one would marry Naomi. She says, no one's going to marry me. I couldn't have kids anyway. Like, you must leave me, right? But in this moment of hopelessness, God gave her Ruth. Um, And in this way... God, or Ruth actually mirrors Christ to us because we know that without Christ, we have no hope for redemption, just like Naomi without Ruth. And we can read in Ephesians 2.8 on this next slide, or I'll turn there. <laughs> we can read in Ephesians 2.8 that, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this passage is saying that we can work all we want, um, but we can't redeem ourselves, right? We need Christ. And it's also a a place to reflect on Ruth and Naomi's story and realize that the first chapter and the last chapter are about Naomi, right? This is Naomi's redemption story, but Ruth and Boaz do all the work. Like, Naomi, it seems to be at home, and maybe she wasn't, but seems to be at home sitting in her suffering while Ruth and Boaz do all this work. And we can see this as an image of how God sees his creation broken and sinful and spiritually dead and is willing to do all the work um, to save us. And that's because he loves us, right? And this is how this story ends with this like beautiful picture of Naomi holding her grandson Obed and just like this beautiful redemption story. And there's still one more piece in Ruth chapter 4 verses 18 and 22. We get to read a genealogy. And as I'm reading this, I want you to try to think of how many names you actually know um, in this genealogy now. So in verse 18, it says, these are the generations of Perez, who's the son of Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salma, who was married to Rahab. Salma fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. 
So not only do Ruth and Boaz get this son, but they also become the great-grandparents of King David. So they've blessed the line of Israel um, through this union. And then we actually get to turn to Matthew 1 and see that they're grafted into the family line of Jesus. So Ruth and Boaz are used not only to build up the lineage of Israel, they also become an essential part of God's plan, ultimate plan for redemption of the world through Jesus. So our story really ends with Ruth and Naomi having been transported from this place of bleak hopelessness to this abundance of like having this baby, to this sort of super abundance, to being able to be a part of God's plan for redemption. So what can we take away from this redemption story? We can remember that in suffering, we tend not to see our circumstances clearly, that God calls us to obedience in suffering, and that sin in the midst of suffering does not disqualify us from redemption. And just to wrap up, I actually want everyone to turn back to Ruth 1, 14, which says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And in the same way that Ruth clings to Naomi in her darkest moments, Christ clings to us. He moves towards us in our suffering. And you can think again of that moment of hopelessness in your life, either past or present. And it can sometimes really feel like we're not doing enough or we're, not doing, or we're doing something wrong. Otherwise, we wouldn't be suffering um, or God would feel closer. But in Christ, for those of us in Christ, we can actually know that he's already moved towards us, um, even in our suffering. Remember that Naomi tries to push Ruth away, right? But she clings to her mother-in-law. And we can learn here that our role in suffering is really actually very simple. It means allowing God to grab a hold of you, receiving God's pursuit of you. It means the ability to lean on God's strength when you actually have none yourself. Now, I hope that you can all see Ruth and Naomi's story and see just how fiercely God moves towards you in suffering and just how able he is to carry you through. Now, as we close in prayer, I actually want you to close your eyes and just try to picture God clinging to you, whether you're in a moment of suffering or not, try to picture God clinging to you in your hardest moments, and I'm going to read Psalm 13 one more time before we go into worship. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. You can go ahead and stand for worship. <laughs>